Hey guys, open up your Bibles to <clears throat> Judges chapter 13. And we are going to be looking at one of the most colorful characters in all of Scripture, uh, Samson. And I'm sure almost every single person here can maybe uh, talk a little bit or share one bit of story or a little bit of story about Samson. Just out of curiosity, hands up. How many of you think that Samson was super ripped, uh, this tank of a man, huge arms, uh, just like your atypical uh, man mountain? Hands up if you think that's what he looked like. All right, most of you think that he was Arnold Schwarzenegger with really long hair and wearing a toga. You are wrong. <laughs> Samson uh, did not look anything like that. Uh, we have in our minds this uh, guy who hit the gym and never skipped out on leg day, uh, except there wasn't a gym around the time of Judges, and he didn't have weights and a Virgin Active that he could subscribe to and a Fitbit uh, to monitor everything that he was eating. No, uh, just as we've seen with Judges, it's everything about how God uses the weak, and it is God's strength that is on display. And so, sorry to burst any bubbles that you had about Samson in your uh, old school, school Sunday school classes, but I don't think he was a seven-foot man mountain. I think he was quite the opposite. And uh, it really is just a display of God's strength as what we have seen all the way in Judges. But yes, a super colorful character. Some of the things that he did, uh, killing a thousand men with a fresh donkey, donkey's jawbone. Ripping a lion apart with his hands. Uh, one of my favorite ones is how he caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together, dipped them in pitch, set them on fire, threw all the Philistines' fields uh, to burn up their grain harvests. Uh, this guy really did live a full and uh, kind of spectacular life, uh, but also really messed things up royally for himself. What's really interesting about Samson is he is the last judge in the book of Judges. He's also the most detailed judge. There is, a, there is more info and description and stories about him than any other judge. And it's quite important. Uh, the problem is there's just so much that we can't uh, go into everything this morning. We are already running fast out of time. So uh, I'm only going to be looking at his birth and his death uh, this morning. Otherwise, we'd have to do a whole series uh, on its own. But what you're gonna see is some incredible similarities between Samson and Jesus, which is why this morning I kind of titled it, uh, Jesus is the real Samson. Because the book of Judges ends with everything hanging. And as I've mentioned every single week during this series is because it is always foreshadowing to the perfect judge. Judges are not able to save their people they keep going back into sin. We are just too broken. The sin cycle continues and we always need saving till our ultimate savior comes. And we're really going to enjoy and see that this morning. So we're gonna start this morning by reading in Judges chapter 13. We're gonna take some stuff out there and then we're gonna end with Judges 16. So if you have uh, Judges 13, read with me. The first few verses. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. And he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite from God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who was born. Really some very interesting similarities between this and uh, the Christmas story that's going to come about. But if you've been following and tracking with us in the series, do you notice anything different about how this passage starts? If you look down at verse 1, where it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. There's something that's uh, uh, very interesting that is absent from this uh, passage than from all the other ones in Judges. What's missing here is that the Israelites are not crying out for deliverance. Every passage we've seen, because of their sin, they have been oppressed. And in their oppression, they remember the Lord and they cry out for God to save them. And then God raises up someone to be a judge and set Israel free. Here we don't see this. Here they're not crying out for deliverance. This has been hundreds of years of the cycle continuing. And they're not crying out for deliverance. They're not repenting. They're not asking the Lord to uh, set them free from their captivity. Now what's interesting is when we've seen Israel facing their kind of pending destruction, they rally to faith. They realize what's going on. They realize the situation that they're in. They cry out to the Lord. There's this uh, resurgence of faith, this revival in the land. They destroy all their idols and then God gives them the victory by defeating their enemies. And there's something more dangerous to God's people than impending destruction. And that's assimilation. And what I mean by that is they have gone so far away from the Lord that their hearts have completely forgotten Him. See, when they're facing destruction, they rally to faith, they cry out for deliverance, and God sets them free. Here is Samson's mom. We don't mention her name, but the angel has to tell her, don't drink wine and don't eat uh, unclean meat. That should be a given for God's people because that's part of the law. They are so comfortable in their captivity. They're so used to what's going on around them that they're about to be assimilated into the culture of the Philistines and cease to exist as a nation. 
And it is more dangerous for God's people at this point in their life than ever before. Because they don't even know the danger that they're facing. They're just captives. They just go along with what the Philistines do. They've forgotten the things of the Lord. They've forgotten what it means to be His people. And they're about to disappear into assimilation. And even for us, that is always our biggest danger. It's not that we die for believing in Jesus. It's that we forget about Him. And our hearts leave and go on to worship other things. And we just get assimilated into the world and all the cultures around us. And this is what's happening to them. This is why they don't cry out. They don't even know to cry out anymore. But what does that show you about God? He does not wait for them to cry out. God understands the predicament that they're in. And so He saves them and He comes to them even when they are not crying out for saving. And this is why I love the fact that Jesus is the real Samson because as God is prepping and and starting the journey of uh, delivering his people, they don't cry out. They don't realize the danger that they're in. Jesus comes. God comes to them in their greatest need. See, we don't even realize the mess and the trouble that we're in. And again, that's why it's such a problem for us. And Jesus doesn't wait for us to cry out, God, save me. Jesus, save me. He comes to us. See, the problem is we don't know the trouble that we're in till it's too late. Think of someone kind of caught in a riptide or being washed out to sea. It was all fine and well till they couldn't swim back to shore and it was too late for them. Or the messy room, you just kind of look at this and you go, where do I even start? The mess is too great. We don't even realize the problem. Yet Jesus steps in. Jesus pursues us. God pursues Israel. Even when they don't cry out. He still sends a savior. Because understand that they had rejected God for hundreds of years. The book of Judges is not just a short period of time. We're talking multiple, multiple generations of people who have, on every occasion, turned away from God and done detestable things, worshiped detestable gods. Yet God comes back every single time and delivers them. Even when they Uh, forget completely to call out to God, he still steps in and rescues them. What kind of a God does that? If you think about it with us, Scripture says, while we were still enemies, Christ dies for us. What kind of a God shows that kind of love and faithfulness when people for hundreds and hundreds of years, generation after generation, turn away and turn away and turn away. Even within that generation, they've seen the faithfulness of the Lord, turn away to worship false idols, repented and done it again. This is why we say, He never leaves us and He never forsakes us. 
Because even when we do not realize the danger we are in, God pursues us and comes and steps into our mess and saves us. It's so important because we often forget. And we think about God through the lens of where I'm at now and how I'm feeling now. And so we'll go, well, I'm not in a good space. God doesn't love me. Uh, I've messed up, so God must hate me. And so I can't pray. I can't engage with God because of what I've done and where my life's at. The story of Judges, and especially here with the birth of Samson, proves completely the opposite. It does not matter where you are at. It does not matter how many times you have failed God. It might be again and again and again and again and again. But what we have seen every single week, it does not matter how broken I am, God is faithful. That even when I do not realize the danger that I'm in, when I've messed up for 400 years, these guys have just been failing the Lord and turning to worship false idols. When they don't even cry out, He still comes to them. Because He is faithful. When I am broken, He is faithful. When I do not love Him through my actions and my life, He still loves me. That will never change. And so this morning, I don't know what place you're in. You know, I don't know what this week's been like, this day's been like, this year's been like. I don't know where you are at with the Lord. That doesn't matter. Because what does matter is he is still faithful. You might have lived a life that has not honored him for your whole life until this moment in time. He loves you. Loves you. We, we love, uh, it's on our board outside, no perfect people allowed, come as you are, because that is the heart of God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is he loves you and he is faithful and will continue to be like that for eternity. We see that so much that I am broken, but we have a God who is faithful. And I hope you know that right now where you are sitting, all he has for you is love. Right now where you're sitting, God loves you. Genuinely loves you. He's not keeping a score sheet of what you've done. He hasn't got a tally of how many times you've failed him and been unfaithful to him and pursued other things and not been concerned about the things of the Lord. He doesn't keep that. He just loves you and is faithful to you. We see in this passage that his birth is miraculous. Uh, she's a barren woman. And we know that when a, a couple or a family isn't able to fall pregnant, that that's a very painful thing. And we know how painful it is for uh, a woman to not be able to bear children. And uh, as painful as it is in today's society, uh, and there is still ways of of combating that with medical intervention possibly, back then this was a, a major disaster. If you were not able to have children, it meant that your life was hopeless, genuinely hopeless. If you could not have children, you had no future. Because of the kind of agrarian culture that they were in, you needed people to work the land, to do crops, to farm livestock. The more children you had, the better chance your family had of being prosperous. If you had no children and you got too old, that meant that disaster was moments away. 
So again, this isn't lost on us that Samson's mom was barren because there is no hope for Israel at this point. This is a metaphor for them as a people that they are utterly hopeless without any prospects. There is no future for them. But again, I love this, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 to 9. You want to write down and really reflect on this. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you are more numerous than other people. For you're the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors and that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of the king, uh, from the Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God and he is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Just ponder on that last verse there for a moment. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love and keep his commands. Even when it seemed hopeless for God's people, no foreseeable future, God is their presence. Even in their absolute hopelessness, God is still present, active, working, doing something. And, and, and I love this because this is only part of the story with Samson. It says there, in, in fact, uh, in, in Hebrew, it talks about uh, when it's being set apart for his Nazarite vow, is he will begin to save Israel. It's incomplete. Judges ends with the Savior, the judge, only beginning to. Because all of it is a foreshadowing to Jesus. And again, this morning, if you are in a place of feeling like you have no hope, that is an okay place to be. Because being in a place of hopelessness and not seeing any light in the foreseeable future for your life, Jesus is faithful. And to a thousand generations, faithful. Again, I say this, what kind of a God would make a promise to someone and hold it to a thousand generations of unfaithfulness? Our God, who loves and says, I made the promise. I will remain faithful even when you are not. And he proves it over and over and over again. Do you wanna know what the sweetest thing about the gospel is? That Jesus saves us just because. Just because. Just because he is God and he is faithful and he loves us. Did he pick Israel because they were special? No. There were more numerous nations. There were, no, he just loved them and he made a promise to Abraham and he loved the nation because he is faithful. And that faithfulness was there even in their greatest time of hopelessness. And we see the cycle over and over and over again. And guys, this morning, I encourage you that if you are struggling with your life, if you're struggling with your faith, you've got to understand 
that God's heart is that of love and faithfulness. And when you appeal to God and when you turn to Him, that's what you're turning to. You're turning to His love and His faithfulness. Not anything else. This idea that God is angry, that God's a judge, when we have this image that God's like this big stick or this lightning bolt and He he just wants to kind of like lay into us because we messed up. Whoever taught that to you, taught you an incorrect wrong thing. Yes, we need to honor God with our lives. I'm gonna get to that in a moment. But when we turn to the Lord, when we cry out to Him, what we uh, cry out into is His love and faithfulness. That's it. And His faithfulness never ends. And He never forsakes us. And the sweetest truth is, it's just because. It's because He loves us and who He is. Nothing in us. And so we go back to the story. Uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 9. Uh, God heard Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman uh, while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. It's just quite bizarre. For some reason, the wife is never mentioned in this. Manoah got up and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink any wine or any fermented drink nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. When I said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. The word actually is wonderful. And then she says, it is wonderful. Then Manoah took a young goat, together with the grain offering, sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord, and the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord did not show himself again, Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized this was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, uh, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. Then the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. So what I love about Samson's mom is while we don't know her name, Uh, the angel had to repeatedly tell her, don't drink and eat pork. So she was kind of really steeped in the culture of the Philistines and that around her. But what we have to commend her on is how when the Lord encounters her, she falls down on her face and she worships him. And what we see here is when 
the Lord encounters them and the Lord starts to reveal how he's going to save them and they're engaging with the Lord and seeing his faithfulness and engaging with him. He says, my name is wonderful and they worship him. And again, just something to pull out of the birth of Samson and what we see so much similarity between Samson and Jesus, when we know about how God has saved us and his faithfulness, we actually only have one response. And that is to fall down on our face and to worship him. If today's the day that I'm so excited for you, if today's the day that you take seriously who the Lord is and what he means to you and what he has done in his life and you respond and declare, okay, Jesus, you love me while I was your enemy. My whole life, I have not taken you seriously and, and your faithfulness has been evident every single day of my life. I repent, I cry out to you and my response is, I'm gonna fall on my face. My life is now going to be a life of worship to you. As you engage and encounter the faithfulness of the Lord, we only have one response. Worship the Lord with everything that we have. Again, he's not calling us to perfection. He's not calling us to legalism. He's not calling us to obey everything with this kind of self-righteousness that again, we go, well, look how good I am because of, of what I do for the Lord. He's not talking about that. It's about just a life of worship in response to his goodness, his love, his faithfulness and his grace towards us. That's what it is all about, is us just worshiping him. All right, so jump to chapter 16. And move down to verse 23. Because after the birth of Samson, uh, the Lord uses him. Uh, he has incredible strength. He goes on and he does a whole bunch of things. Uh, he gets messed up with this Philistine woman. I mean, he's supposed to save Israel from the Philistines. He ends up marrying a Philistine uh, woman uh, who he just uh, compromises with. He uh, can't resist all, uh, you know, all of uh, her badgering and kind of just getting him to give in all the time. And as a result, he gets uh, kidnapped by the Philistines. He is enchained. He's had his eyes gouged out. And uh, he's really in a bad way. And he has fallen far short of the expectations that he had. From this beginning of set apart, uh, holy life, miraculous birth, great startup. Uh, you know, it's kind of like you watch uh, episode one and two of a series and you have such high hopes and the ending just fails you and you're just so angry at the way it ends and it doesn't live up to the expectations. Samson at this point has not lived up to the expectations of God and so, and his people. So verse 23 of chapter 16. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands. The one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. And while they were in high spirits, they were drunk, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he performed for them. So here's God's judge, eyes gouged out, uh, chained up, having to perform as entertainment for his captors uh, who are all uh, well liquored up at the party. 
When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, here, mighty Samson is being led by the hand of a servant. He says, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them. His right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more, uh, many more when he was dead than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him and brought him back to be buried between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he had led Israel 20 years. Just some incredible stuff that is happening here. Samson lived a life of compromise. Even though he was set apart from the Lord, he compromised and compromised and compromised and through his sin led him into that place of captivity. But just as him and Jesus had miraculous births and both of them set apart for their, their mission. Both had incredible strength. Uh, Samson over the Philistines, Jesus over creation, demons, life, and death. Uh, both were betrayed by someone close to them and handed over to their Gentile oppressors. Both were tortured and mocked while put in chains. Both of them died with their arms stretched out wide. One was in chains for their own sin. One was in chains for our sin. Well, both their defeats or their deaths look like defeats. Both of them defeated the enemies and our enemies. And I love this because Samson was in chains for our sin, for his sin. Jesus uh, nailed and chained to the cross for your sin and my sin. And while Samson cries out one last time to God, Jesus cried out to God on behalf of all of us as our Savior. And again, as we look at the life and the death of Samson, it's simply just this. Even after an entire life of compromise and in chains for his sin, he cries out to God and what does God do? God shows his faithfulness. Again. And for wherever you are at this morning, what we have seen over and over, now, and I've been sounding like a stuck record, but I still think some of us just don't get how faithful God is. And some of us just don't get that it does not matter how far you have gone away from him and just how chained you are to your life and the things that you're living, all you need to do is cry out to God. And he hears and he is faithful. And he uses Samson one last time. And Samson achieves more in that moment than what he did his whole life. Why? Because God's a God of grace and is faithful. 
And so it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if your life has no hope. It does not matter if you feel like you're chained into stuff. And it doesn't matter if you know in your heart that you're living a life that God doesn't approve of and you know that you've gone away from Him. All that matters is that you serve a God who is faithful, who loves you, and you just have to cry out and say, Jesus, save me, I repent. And He is faithful to do that. I mean, when it says in Scripture, new are His mercies every single day. It's so important because it is new every single day. God isn't keeping a record of wrong when it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Because he does not lord that over us. He does not hold that over us. He loves us. So I want us to pray this morning and use this as a time to really come before the Lord. God, I'm so thankful for your love and your grace. I am so thankful, God, for the times that I have not been faithful, you have continually proved your faithfulness to me. But I especially want to pray this morning for anyone here who has been in a place where they, like Samson and like we all do, have just turned their hearts away from you, who have just gotten caught up in the things of this world, who even as Samson was just chained in sin, right now just live a life where that describes them. But God, I'm so thankful that even in that, you are a God of love and a God of faithfulness. And that when we repent and cry out to you, that we know that you hear and forgive and that your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness is new every day. And so if that's you this morning, again, just, we do this often, but just open up your hands as a sign of surrender and say, and, and, and repent in your hearts and cry out to the Lord. And use this moment to cry out to Him to save you, to set you free because that's what Jesus did when he was in chains for our sin and died with his arms spread wide was for my sin and for your sin. Jesus, again, we just declare this morning that you, God, are faithful. In spite of my brokenness, you are faithful and that faithfulness endures for a thousand generations. You never leave me, you never forsake me. Jesus, I thank you that you are the real and greater Samson, that your death has saved me and you are faithful. And to that we say, amen.